1: 6 30 chad inside sports with reed wilkins weekdays at six on 6 30 chad okay well good evening everybody hope you're having a great day hope you're getting all ready for christmas or whatever it is you will be celebrating this holiday season of course this would have been would have been the evening for the Edmonton Oilers' final game before the Christmas break, but that already happened back on Saturday as the three games this week have been postponed. We know that the Oilers are scheduled to have a practice on Boxing Day. Of course, they'll be uh, tested for COVID, and the game against the Calgary Flames is set to go on Monday. That's Monday the 27th with a 6 o'clock face-off show and a puck drop here at 8 on 6.30. Chad World Juniors, of course, uh, ramping up here, tune-up game, today, and then the tournament will start on uh, Boxing Day. Canada's first game going to be on Boxing Day against the Czech Republic, uh, 5 o'clock at Rogers Place. So uh, that's what we can tell you about what's coming up and uh, we're going to have a bit of a special show tonight. We're going to look back on some of our favorite interviews uh, over the last month or so. It's the good old best of edition on Inside Sports. And uh, we think you're going to like this one. You're going to hear some some really cool stories, actually. We're going to hear from a, a blind goaltender who usually plays uh blind hockey with the Edmonton Seahawks. Well, he played a game against sighted players, so that was a pretty cool experience. You'll get that story from a gentleman named Nelson Rago. We'll uh, talk a little bit about Chris Jones being hired as the Edmonton Elks coach and general manager. You'll hear from former NHL official Tim Peel, who uh, was, of course, in the process of retiring last season, and then he was uh, let go a little bit early after he had that open mic incident. Uh, You'll hear some comments from Craig McTavish and Devin Dubnik as well. All over the next couple of hours. Really appreciate that you're tuning in tonight. Uh, we think we're going to put some smiles on your faces as we move along. Of course, you can always get in touch. Follow me on Twitter, at Reed Wilkins, R-E-I-D-W-I-L-K-I-N-S. The hotline is presented by CertainTeed, professional-grade building materials, 780-496-0063. Well, there used to be a holiday tradition in Alberta, and uh, that was a tournament that was held in Camrose, and that was the Viking Cup. It started in 1981, ran again in 1982, and then went every second year until 2006. Really a rich history of the tournament, and uh, I was was able to catch up with a gentleman who was the tournament chair for several years and who has now written a book about the Viking Cup. And it is uh, simply enough called the Viking Cup, so pretty easy to remember if you're looking for it. And uh, one of the alums of the Viking Cup is Oilers head coach Dave Tippett. And here's a quick memory from Tip before we get uh, to Leroy Johnson, who wrote the Viking Cup book.
0: It was a fun tournament. I was playing for the Prince Albert Raiders, and there was teams from Europe there. It was Finland and Sweden, and and the Raiders got invited to it, and it was uh, the atmosphere. It was like playing junior hockey. You don't get to play many tournaments like that, where you're kind of back as that kid atmosphere. And it was packed, and the people were, you know, it was good hockey, and the people were really excited for the teams that were there. Lots of NHL scouts there. I I remember Scotty Bowman being there, and And uh, so it just, it was, it was the ability to play in, it was like a kid's tournament, but you weren't a kid anymore. And it made it a lot of fun.
1: That is Oilers head coach, Dave Tippett. Some memories of the first ever Viking Cup. He played in it back in 1981 as a member of the SJHL's Prince Albert Raiders. Of course, the Viking Cup ran until 2006. There is now a book out about the tournament. It is appropriately called the Viking Cup. This man wrote it. Please welcome to Inside Sports, Leroy Johnson. Leroy, you're on
2: with Reed. How are you doing? Oh, just fine. Nice, uh, nice to talk to you. And Merry Christmas to you.
1: Merry Christmas to you as well thanks for hopping on the show I know you and I spoke off air a couple of times to set this up I'm so looking forward to to this segment here first of all um explain to everybody I'm sure there's a lot of people listening who know exactly who you are and your connection to the tournament but just to sort of set the stage here uh tell us about your involvement with the tournament over the years
2: well, I was hired as the athletics director at Augustana back in 1967, and uh, the uh, idea then was that we would uh, get into the Al- Alberta College's athletic conference uh, as a team. Now, we only had between 300 and 400 students, and uh, we would have to compete against uh, larger schools like Nate and Sate and uh, Mount Royal and so on. Uh, so, so we uh, we decided to uh, do something real special to try to attract some good players, and that uh, that's when we went to Europe for the very first time, 1974-75. Uh, it was something that was very unusual at that time for uh, for a college team or or, or, or any team, actually. Uh, the Summit Series had just been held, but uh, in terms of junior hockey, there were very few uh, teams that were, were going over there or, or interested. So we attracted a lot of great players and won the Canadian Championship that year. So that's kind of how it all started. We then, uh, in a few years, got into the AC, ACAC. And in 1979, 80, we went overseas again uh, and played in uh, Russia and uh, Finland and uh, Sweden. And at that time, we invited the uh, the top Swedish team that we had played Aik from Stockholm, and the top Finnish team TPS from uh, Turku, Finland, to come back. And uh, they accepted our invitation. Um, and I, 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 I uh, and you just talked to Dave Tippett there. Uh, I knew uh, uh, the the leaders of the team there. Terry Simpson uh, and others quite well. So I invited them to come to the tournament as well because they were the top conne- uh, team in Canada in terms of um, junior hockey at that time. So we had three outstanding teams and then our own team and uh, it was just a big success right off. Uh, you know, Scotty Bowman walked in the first day and that gave us some instant credibility as well. So that that's kind of how it all started, uh, Reid. So would you... And I know you're a modest guy but i want to ask the question
1: would you consider yourself the founder of the tournament or are you as part of a group of people how would you sum that up
2: well uh, to uh get college hockey started here at, in camrose uh, we set up a, a committee of businessmen and we all work together um but uh so i guess in a sense it was the uh, you know the, the group that, that started it But it really started from that initial trip um, uh, to Europe. So, the the
1: first one in 1981, did it? It obviously went very well, like you said. Did it? Did it catch you by surprise at all? How well it went, like and the reaction to it.
2: Just as an example, we we didn't know what crowd control was because we had never filled the arena. And all of a sudden, uh, we had people packing into the arena and we realized that, hey, we can't have this many people. So uh, that was one of our first problems, is to control the crowds because... you know, who had, nobody had seen this type of hockey, this quality of hockey at the junior level before, from from Europe, and uh, and everybody knew how good the Prince Albert Raiders were. Uh, so in the in the final game, it was just uh, it was a real problem to uh, try to control the the number of people uh, that got into the arena. And of course, that was a fantastic game between uh, TPS from Finland. Uh, And you may recall uh, the name Hanoverta He pl- he played uh, in that game and was uh, then drafted by Buffalo. Um, and the uh, there's several players drafted from the Prince Albert Raiders team then, uh, uh, James Patrick and I'm not sure if Dave Tippett was actually drafted, but he certainly played in the NHL. All
1: right. So then it was held again in '82, and then it was every second year. So how come you decided to go every second year? What's the story there?
2: Oh, because we uh, we wanted to go to Europe with our own team. Um, and the, um, the second year, uh, we uh, attracted the uh, the Czechoslovakian national under-18 team, and they actually invited us back the next year to play in Czechoslovakia over the Christmas break. So we didn't want to, uh, uh, you know, give that idea up, so we uh, we decided to do it every other year. There's a tremendous amount of work to it as well, so... Uh, uh, we didn't want to uh, kind of overwork our people, and of course we billeted all these players, and uh, it was expecting a little bit too much to do this every year. So that's why we made it a biannual tournament.
1: Leroy Johnson, joining us on Inside Sports, author of the new book The Viking Cup. So it ran until 2006. Uh, how did you know it was it was time, or was it ultimately your decision? Were there some outside factors here?
2: Well, I wasn't involved in the latter years. Um, I uh, was, as you may know, I was elected to the Alberta legislature. Uh, that was in 1997. Um, so that's when I uh, left the Biking Cup. I had been the uh, coordinator of it for, for 20 years. So I, I guess I can't speak too much to why it actually, uh, uh, you know, why, why we don't have it anymore. But um, maybe it just um, outlived its time. Okay. So
1: when it came to writing the book, I mean, I know you you talked to Tip. I assume you didn't. There were no shortage of people willing to tell the stories because it was such a positive experience for a lot of players at, at at kind of an early stage in their careers.
2: Well that was a real highlight for me because i i I, I must have talked to three or four hundred people from from you know uh, different countries all over the world uh, the, the hockey countries and and it was an, a, extremely inspiring for me. Um, I mean, what, what can be better than to relive wonderful experiences with inspiring people? And and that's what happened. So that's, that's what kind of kept me going on on this project. Uh, but then I would talk to the younger generation and they would say, well, what's that? What, what's the Viking Cup? Tell us about it. And and then I realized, yeah, there is a need to have a book or there is a need to, to, to have this written someplace uh, so that uh, we have an accurate record of it.
1: What's your, uh, th- this might be a tough one, Leroy, but I got to ask you, what's your favorite memory of the tournament? Do you have a favorite game, player, moment, something like that? <laughs>
2: Well, I, I guess probably, probably the last game of the first tournament with TPS and uh, and the Prince Albert Raiders, but, the, but maybe of equal uh, memory is it uh, uh, wasn't the last game, but it was uh, an earlier game of the tournament when the Czechoslovakian team was here for the first time. That was their national team, and Dominik Hasek played in goal. Uh, and they played against the Prince Albert Raiders, and it was an unbelievable game. And Hasek just wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't let any pucks go in the net. Uh, so it ended up two to one, and Peter Klima scored on a penalty shot. And you remember Peter Klima? In fact, he scored both of those goals in the two to one victory. Uh, and uh, people still talk about that. It was just uh, you know unbelievable, and uh, and and the, the the building was absolutely packed as well. Do you think? a tournament like the viking
1: cup could ever thrive again or are we in a different era of of hockey now and the way teams work and all that kind of stuff
2: well it, it would be good to see it happen again um uh i I think there's uh, you know there's great advantages here but uh, the the thing that really made it I think was the uh, European teams that came and particularly the national 18-year-old teams or under 18 teams uh, they were all pretty much 18 as as you know on a national team they all <laughs> their birthdays are all January February March perhaps uh so so they they really kind of made the tournament uh because everybody was so interested in European hockey at at that particular time, uh, the uh, uh, at, at that time it was called the Canadian Amateur Hockey Association. Now it's Hockey Canada. They 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 really didn't know what what to do with us to start with. To tell you the truth, when we asked if we could invite these teams, they really had in mind that someday they would probably have a tournament of their own for the national under eighteen teams. And as you know, they do now. They mm-hmm. Uh, the the Gretzky Olympic the tournament, but uh, but at that time uh, they didn't. So they they were hesitant to give us permission to do it. But on the other hand, there was no reason why they shouldn't. So so what happened is they they said let's let's call them the the the, the national selects rather than the national team. It was the same team, and they you know they wore the uh, the team uniform and all that. But these teams from Europe were really interested in coming over. And playing against tough tough competition because they wanted to get better for the european championships that, that followed in the in the spring uh and and uh, I might just add at at this point uh, Reid, that there was a lot there were a lot of people that felt it was unfair uh, to play national 18-year-old, uh national eighteen year old teams or actually 17 or 18 year old players against the older players such as the u of a golden bears and 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 college teams but i can tell you that in in dealing with the europeans they wanted to come over here and play tough competition and it was quite an honor for them to play come and play the u of a golden bears or some of the college teams so while a lot of our own people were pretty concerned about this as being unfair uh, generally speaking, those from Europe were uh, quite quite happy uh, to to be able to play this type of competition.
1: Well, this is this is amazing. I, I know there's a copy of the book uh, that I'm going to grab tomorrow at work, so I'll, I'll dive into that definitely uh, right away. Where can people find the the Viking Cup? And the book is it's just it's just called the Viking Cup, right?
2: Uh, Yeah, the Viking Cup, there's a subtitle. It's uh, uh, A Small College Town Scores Big Time. Um, And I might just mention in, in regards to that, my editor, when she read the first manuscript, she said, well, this is a story about bigness and littleness. And, of course, it is. Uh, you know, a little town on the prairies opens, opens its doors to the world, and the world comes knocking, that type of story. And uh, she, um, she picked up on that, um, that right away. And where can people find it, Leroy? yeah you can find it uh the the publisher was uh, Friesen press uh so you can get the book through Friesen press online uh, amazon um uh, 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 what is it uh, uh noble <laughs> um Briggs, oh what is it so & noble <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, okay. Uh, and uh, through uh, Indigo, and uh, I think pretty well all the bookstores uh, are handling it, in, including the little bookstore that we have here in Camrose.
1: All right. Well, that was pretty cool. I, I look forward to reading that one. I know there's a, a copy for me that i got to dive into here pretty soon. That is the Viking Cup, and that is, as well as Leroy Johnson, former tournament chair. A lot of incredible memories for that tournament. A little bit with uh, former Oilers coach, general manager, and player.
3: Now a
1: uh, bi-weekly regular here on Inside Sports, Craig McTavish when we get back. So the Oilers have won two straight and uh, had beaten Columbus and Seattle before going into pause here and ready to get back at it with a practice on Boxing Day and then a game in Calgary on the 27th. Prior to that, the Oilers had lost six consecutive games, six consecutive games. It was a tough run. It's always interesting to hear perspective from uh, coaches and players who have had long careers and who have gone through ups and downs and have had to deal with the bad times and try to keep it even keel and keep the energy up along the way. I was talking to Craig McTavish after the Oilers lost that game to the Leafs. As a coach and the coaching staff and and as a teammate and a player you you have to
3: uh you know you just you have to keep the spirit. You can't you can't get down because if the energy goes Then it's a a slippery slope. But, uh, you know, there were some guys there in the last half of the game, I thought, that didn't play very well. But, but, you know, when you're losing games, guys aren't on top of their game. And you got to find a way to get it back. And where's your reference point? Some of these guys are younger players, uh, experienced guys. And we've all, as players, lost it where i remember one year i couldn't carry the puck for 10 feet and how how do you get it back you you get into practice you start handling the puck but you know i had that reference point and veteran players have that reference point but some of the young players they just uh, they 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 don't really uh know at this point i think how, how to get back on top of their game and uh you know They're going to need a, a break, and you got to get to the net and try and get lucky and then get some confidence by getting a break, but it's uh, there's plenty of good signs,
1: I think. It's Craig McTavish. I liked how he put reference points. Do you, do you have a reference point as a player when you're going through bad times in your career? So uh, you hope that the Oilers got a few reference points over that six-game losing streak that'll help them as they move along. Former NHL referee Tim Peel, when we get back to the best of inside sports on 630 Chet. Well, officiating is always a big topic in the National Hockey League, especially when uh, most of you as Oilers fans are watching Connor McDavid on a nightly basis and the Oilers are boasting an excellent power play for the third consecutive year one thing we don't often get to do though is actually hear from officials of course referees and linesmen in the National Hockey League don't do interviews they don't talk after games they don't talk in between games they don't really give uh uh, you know the league uh, situation room doesn't often give very over overly detailed interpretations of what happens with video review plays and things like that. So it was really cool that uh, I got to have an extended chat with Tim Peel, recently retired NHL referee. And uh, of course, we started with him letting everybody know what he's up to now
0: yeah you know what it's good it's uh the last couple of years I you know for for uh Edmonton fans I knew it was time to retire when Connor McDavid was going past me down the wing and I felt like I was one of those turn cells at the New York subway and uh, I figured it, i'm getting older and the players are getting younger, so it was time to get out but you know the game's so much fun and and Edmonton are so they're so fortunate. I took my son Bronson to watch McDavid play in St. Louis the other day and that's when Yamiyado scored with uh, 27.5 seconds to go and him and it's it's just amazing watching him play. He's the fastest, most skilled player I've ever seen live or at, at any point.
1: Well, I'm sure fans love hearing that. And it's cool you're watching the NHL. And you're mentioning the players. Like, I'm curious, though, when you when you watch a game, and I know you're doing some stuff with Daily Faceoff, I think, talking about rules uh, and Correct. officials. When, when you watch a game, how much is watching the skill level of the players and how much are you still Putting yourself into the heads of the referees on the ice.
0: A, a bit of both, for sure. You know, I, when I when I you know I'm watching the uh, the Blues and the Red Wings right now, and I'll watch the Oilers later on tonight, and and I watch the officials. You know, I think they're doing a good job. I think there's always room for improvement. Um, I know there was. There was a concern with uh, maybe not the Edmonton organization, but certainly the fans that Connor wasn't getting the calls at the beginning of the year, and and some of them justifiably, uh, you know, I would agree with. um, But I think as of late, uh, he's been getting those calls, and he's just such a skilled player that uh, when when he does get tripped or hooked, it it really sticks out. And uh, but no, I you know I'm a fan now, and my son, you know, he plays here in St. Louis. He's on a select team and Jamal Mayer is the ex-NHL player. Him and I coach the team together and I'm just having fun, enjoying it enjoying being a fan.
1: You, you know, you mentioned McDavid and of course I was going to ask you about that anyway, so we'll, we'll go down that <laughs> path uh, a little bit and you mentioned being on the ice with him and how how fast he is and there are a lot of fast players in the league. I mean, we, we watched Gurianov last night for Dallas, burning oh, on the God. Oilers and right, it's, right. It's score a goal is it? I mean, how how do refs adjust to that speed? Where maybe five years ago they thought, okay, I need to be here as the puck is coming down the ice, and and now they're thinking, oh wait a minute, I, I need to be over here to to see everything. Are there? Like, t- tell me about dealing with the speed of the game.
0: No, that, that's, that's a good point because I'll tell you one thing. As a, as a, in, the, in the four official system with two referees, you never want to be chasing the play. If you're chasing the play from behind, you, the chances of you catching a, an infraction aren't as good as if you're backing up to the play and you have the players in front of you. So you can see the hook on the hand, the hook, you know, the, the trip on the skate so you know maybe with with the speed of the game and with certain players do our officials maybe have to cheat a little bit? Maybe, but I know Stephen Walkham and the NHL—they've done a tremendous job in the last two years. I was—I've gone to a couple games this year, and they've hired—and you probably know this, Reed, but they've hired a lot of ex-pro hockey players, American League players, East Coast Hockey League players, and these guys are phenomenal skaters. And that's the kind of the avenue that the NHL is going. They're like, "Hey, we need, we still need to hire referees, but we need to hire." athletes because the speed of the game is so quick now that we need referees that can keep up with the pace travis
1: toomey former u of a golden bear it's is correct. now a, a linesman right so yeah but definitely correct. i got i got to talk to him when he uh signed the contract to work in the nhl in the american hockey league there is a, a perception that that, that everything can't be called on mcdavid because he's fouled so often i know i know you sort of touched on that but you you like would a ref ever think that way where it's like no. well you know?
0: no no that that would be completely inaccurate and and uh, I think at some point we need to, you know, uh, you know this, read, especially growing up in Canada. I grew up in New Brunswick, and I live in St. Louis now. And officiating has always been a lightning rod for 75 years, officiating so in the NHL. It's the same thing every year. And for whatever reason, our sport, we really – uh, tend to focus on the officials more than I think any other sport, and I, I really think that if you look at the, the two highlight real goals that McDavid scored this year, there was a, he went through three or four players on both plays not one of them tried to hook or trip him because they knew they know if they put a stick in there and it's parallel to the ice and they get it on the, on his hands but, but think about that for a second not one of them put their stick out to even try to hook him and slow him down so we have to give the credit a lot of credit to the players because because they adapt to the rules but i think our officials have called a, a, have done a good job of calling the standard this year are there going to be times that a player gets tripped and it, you know of course it happens in our our league where you've got the best player in the world in Connor mcdavid and maybe in in a one week span there are three or four or two or three trips that haven't been called and now it becomes national headlines
1: yeah, I, I appreciate that perspective for sure. And, and you're right. Unfortunately, uh, you and your colleagues picked a thankless profession. Where, as you said, the <laughs> criticism the criticism started the day of the first NHL game, and it's going to continue for for eternity. Uh, and I think it does get talked about more in Edmonton recently because of McDavid. You know, Rob, I, Rob Brown sure. and I do the post game show here, and and uh, after one of the games on the road trip, we said to people, "Okay, you know what? Call in, but." don't just complain tell tell us how you what you would do tell us if you were in a room full of referees or could run the league uh what what you would like and we got some interesting ideas one thing that's come up and, and I asked Gary Bettman about this a few years ago and he gave me a flat out no and you know how you know Gary's very good at taking the conversation down the path he wants it to go but I asked him about referees doing media post-game.
3: Would you ever
1: be open to to referees uh, answering questions after a game or giving explanations of calls after games?
0: You know what, Reed? It's a great question. I was asked that a few months ago, and it was when the World Series, or I'm sorry, the uh, ALCS was going on, and there was a play in the Red Sox uh, game, and Sam Holbrook, the Major League umpire, came out after and gave a press conference and explained the rule because the umpires got it right in that game so it's that's a great question because i've been asked that many times before and we have 70 i'm sorry 67 officials on our staff some people are better at communicating than others we you know they're they're in the national hockey league for a reason because they're good referees does that make them good public speakers probably not Um, for them to come out and explain you know we have officials from Europe we have uh, you know French Canadian officials we have you know Americans and Canadians and for them to come out and and give a press conference or or explain a rule some people are just better at it than others you know I know I, I would feel comfortable with it I know Kelly Sutherland would I know West. Hollywoodlywood, but some people they don't that they don't like that you know they're they they do not like the because basically you're you're almost public speaking and some people are good at it, and some people aren't so i I think The NHL is on the – they do the right thing by going through Gary Mehar, and as much as it maybe frustrates some fans, I think it's the right thing to do when you're looking at the big picture.
1: That's Tim Peel. More to come from him. This is the best of inside sports on 630 Shed. Thanks for checking out the show tonight. Hope you're keeping warm, keeping safe, keeping healthy. Reed Wilkins with you inside sports on 6:30. Ched. tonight it is a best of edition still to come. You're going to hear from uh, Ryan King on the Elks hiring of Chris Jones. He's back as coach and general manager. You can also get more on that on 630chett.com or globalnews.ca. Of course, Ryan King played for Jones when he was here in 2014 and 2015. They won the Grey Cup together in 2015. Now we'll get to part two of my interview with former NHL referee Tim Peel. I asked him, Tim, what are the biggest misconceptions that people have about
0: referees? Two things I would say. I see I, I... Screwed up. Well, I've, I've messed up, you know, many calls over 23 years. But I remember um, messing up a call one night at Madison Square Garden, and and it, it it led to the winning goal for the for the visiting team, and it was a goalie interference. It was before we had goalie interference penalties, or before we could review goalie interference. And Lundquist had been interfered with, and the game ended, and they lost three two. And I went back to the hotel. And you know, I had a pit in my stomach for three or four days because I knew I I had determined the outcome of the game. And a lot of fans and maybe players, but and maybe media think that all the refs just go back to the hotel and have a couple beers and they they don't care. But that's the biggest misconception. We care more than anything. You know, we 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 take a lot of pride in our job, and and that's what got us to the NHL level is taking pride in our job. And and the other thing that I hear of. All the time is, oh, it was a makeup call. It was a makeup call. Well, was it a penalty? Well, yeah, it was a penalty. Well, just well, well, why was it, well, why are you saying it was a makeup call then? And that happens when three or four or five penalties have been called against one team, and all of a sudden another team takes a penalty, and uh, instantly the refs go, oh, it was a makeup call." Well, or the announcers go, "That was a makeup call." Well, no, it wasn't a makeup call. Was it a penalty? Yes, it was a penalty. Then it wasn't a makeup call. And I don't know where the the term makeup call came in. I'd like to I'd like a history uh, buff to find that out for me because it's been used so much over the last 20 30 40 years makeup calls but two things is that and and our referees take a lot of pride in their work you know we we get we get uh rated throughout the season and if we're, we're not rated high enough we go home at the end of the season and the 20 referees out of the 34 go on to work the playoffs and get paid bonus money per round to make the playoffs. So there's, there's an incentive there for you to be one of the top-rated officials because you can make some extra money during the playoffs.
1: Yeah, see, well, this is why I I always jump at the opportunity to interview a referee or a former referee because you get the human side of it, right? And I liked how you talked that, that you take the baggage of a rough game back to the hotel just like a player might who went minus five or scored on his own net or whatever.
0: Yeah, no, and and, and, and you're right. And sorry to, uh, but just one more thing is is I remember a few years ago I called a penalty against Boone Jenner in Columbus and I looked at the replay and it was a terrible call. And and the whole time... We just don't make a call and we go, oh, well, I don't care what happens. The whole time I was going, man, I hope the other team doesn't score on the power play. Man, I hope the other team doesn't score on the power play. They kill it off. I go over towards the coach, John Trollorelli standing there, and Boone Jenner's sitting in front of him, and I go to Boone I go... Boone, I, I looked at the replay. It was a bad call. I'm really glad you you killed it off. And instantly, between on their bench, three or four players go, oh, Pielsi, don't worry about it. And Torch looks at me and goes, thanks for coming over. That's all they want. We're going to make mistakes. It's It's human nature. We're going to miss calls. We're not watching it in slow-mo. We're not watching it three or four times. We're calling it in real time. But as long as you acknowledge that you did make a mistake to the players and the coaches,
1: they can accept that. So, so let me, and I, and I know you've told the story, but I haven't had you on on my show. You you had the incident with the open mic last year. I went back I don't and watched remember it. That. Yeah, I bet I don't you do. That. I, I went back and watched it today, and I, 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 I'm glad I did because actually the sentence you were saying got cut off. So maybe the context of what you were actually communicating wasn't what you were going to c- communicate. It said you said something like I was. You
0: know, so, a, right. So w- and what's, and your, what's your what's yeah. your version of this year? What you you lived totally. it? What happened? Well, I had four weeks to go I was retiring uh, April 24th was my final game and I had made a call I, I sincerely thought Vic, Victor Arvidsson had kicked uh, the Detroit players feet out and I watched the replay and because we had a TV timeout I watched the replay and I, I said to Kelly Sutherland it was more Kelly Sutherland's one of our top one two officials in the league and and, and we came up together and you know have a lot of, we had a lot of respect for each other and it was more more my embarrassment that I had made this call because that's not the type of penalties that I called. I, I worked playoffs almost every year that I was in the league, and there was a reason because I didn't make crappy calls and I made a crappy call and I simply said "Ah, I wanted to get a penalty against Nashville and my verbiage just came out wrong because I I didn't want to get a penalty against Nashville. Kelly and I called two penalties against Nashville the entire game so obviously my intent wasn't there and and because I wasn't going to see Nashville again uh, because I only had four weeks to go in my season I had been down to the dressing room before the game to talk to their equipment managers and give them some gifts and so on to thank them for everything they had done for me over the years and Todd Richards the assistant coach was sitting there and we talked for half an hour about horses and our kids and and just life in general so I didn't go out in the ice going I wanted to get a penalty I just for whatever reason and I still have no idea to this day why I said it my verbiage just came out wrong and I just want everybody to know it wasn't like I I with four weeks to go in my season I thought you know what I'm gonna blow up 23 years of my career and and I said to my wife when I came home because it was it was a tough day you know that next day when I heard that I had worked my last game and uh, I said you know everything I have is because of the National Hockey League and I said it's amazing I said in the world we live in now I said 23 years I built a reputation up You know, worldwide, North America, especially in my adopted hometown of St. Louis. You know, I'd done the Olympics and and Winter Classics and All-Star Games and Playoff Games and a two-second audio clip a two-second audio clip took it all away it wasn't like i got charged with domestic abuse i said a racial slur i i got a dui let's really put things in perspective i said the wrong thing and it came out wrong and that two-second audio clip completely destroyed it all
1: well, Timmy, it was headlines, and guys like me did talk about it. But I do think you're you're remembered for for far more than that. So I, I hope you know that, and, and I
0: hope no, I, I appreciate that.
1: Yeah, and, and I hope we could talk again. I, I know it's American Thanksgiving. Absolutely. I, I just want to ask you. I just want to ask you one more. And I often ask this of, of referees or people who have you know had incredible careers like you it's it's a thankless profession sometimes as we've talked about sometimes only the mistakes get pointed out but you know we need boys and girls to become men and women who are officials so what would you say to those teens who are maybe making a few bucks a game you know ref in minor hockey or minor basketball and they're not sure if they want to stick with it what would you say to them
0: you know, I—that's a great quest, question, Reed. Because I actually have a rough ref school, referee school here in St. Louis. It's my third year. Uh, we just completed it this past spring, and we're trying to improve officiating in the St. Louis area. And i, I said to them, you know, we're, the kids are 14 to 21, 24 years old. And I said to them at the training camp, I go, "You—you you have to. I know it's difficult, but you—you you really have to try to." Uh, um, or the the white noise, you know, the these crazy parents. I don't know. I think our parents in hockey are honestly the craziest of any sport. And and I don't know why, because they you know, they maybe they all think their son's gonna play in the NHL. And but, you know, as much as I'm trying to teach them to to just focus on the game and you know what, it's a good way. You can make some great extra money. You can work on your skiing if you're a hockey player. But I understand why coaches and, and parents get upset because Jamal Mayers and I, as I mentioned, we coach a select team in St. Louis, and his son and my son play on it. And we were at a tournament back in September, and him and I both were yelling at the refs. And I said to Jamal after I go, we can't yell at the refs. Oh, we can't do it. Now, the biggest complaint I have and that I try to instill with my students is when parents see a young official out there that isn't working hard and he's just going through the motions. And and I told, told my students, listen, that might be an 8U game or a, a 10U game, and it might not mean much to you because you want to be doing a triple A game, but it means something to those kids on the ice. So if you're going to go out there and you're getting paid, just work hard. Work hard. And usually, you know, it was like me in my career. I, I felt like if I worked hard, like anything in life, if you work hard, good things will happen.
1: Well, that was really cool to catch up with Tim Peel. Uh, I thought there was some uh, interesting perspectives in there. I know after that interview was done the first time, not everybody uh, agreed with everything Tim Peel had to say or, or necessarily liked what he had to say, but I, I do think it's important to get a referee's perspective because I think we don't hear that often enough. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.